0: My name is Grant Eiley, and I attend The Bridge here with my wife and children, and I'm really excited to share with you guys a psalm today that's been real meaningful to me probably the last 15 or so years of my life. I memorized it in college, and then throughout different periods of my life, I would say it back to myself, different verses in it, and it was a great source of encouragement. And as I was thinking about the new year, there's a verse in this psalm, that shows us what David's lifetime resolution was. What David's right, lifetime resolution was, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to tell you a story first. Um, so my son, at my house, I'm normally the first one up in the morning. I wake up first, and my son Zion is the second one to wake up. And every morning, he comes down the stairs and he says the exact same thing to me. He says, "Daddy, can you make me oatmeal?" <laughs> He's a growing boy, and that's the first thing that's on his mind. After he has his oatmeal, he'll say, Daddy, can you play with me, or can we do this? But he always says, Daddy, can you make me oatmeal? But something interesting happened this last week. He got some Christmas presents. And so the other morning, he came down, and he said, Daddy, can you help me put the batteries in my remote-control car? (laughs) And so he was doing that and doing that, and after a while I look at the clock, and it's getting later and later, I'm like, Zion, Zion, you want me to make you some oatmeal? He's like, no, Daddy, that's okay, I don't want to eat. <laughs> and so the point is, is that he is a hungry, growing kid, but he was so focused on that one thing that nothing else mattered to him. And I, I think, I've observed that as adults, we tend to focus on one thing above all else. And that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, because he knows that if we make it second, it's not going to happen or it's going to not be that important. And so if you could pull up Psalm 27, verse 4 on the slide, David had a lifetime resolution. He had a lifetime resolution. He said, one thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after." So he was single-minded, one thing, one thing. But he had a neat way, a very interesting way of fleshing this out, because David didn't have, like, an easy life where he could just sit in an office someplace and just like read the Bible all day and be separate and distant from the trials of life. So it's really interesting, if you look at David's life in first and Second Samuel and first Second Chronicles in the Psalms. How he fleshed out making God his number one priority. So I want to start with verses 1 through 3. If you could pull up verses 1 through 3. So David wrote Psalm 27, and let's look at verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers came against me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumbled and fell. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Yet I will be confident. So David intentionally chose to make God his stronghold. He says in this verse, says, In verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. And David is actually, as we'll see later in the psalm, David is actually talking to himself. So I think like that he's in a situation that's scary or causes him anxiety, and he is talking to himself. He's saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid but the re- the result here of him making god his stronghold he realizes is fearlessness if you make god your stronghold you will be fearless it results in fearlessness i'll read you the net bible's translation of psalm 27:1 the lord is my light and my salvation i fear no one the lord protects my life i am afraid of no one. So the result of making God your stronghold is that you become fearless because I found that you can only focus on one thing at a time, one thing at a time. So I have a problem in my life. I have a good devotion in the morning, normally, and I'm like all pumped up for the day. I'm like, oh yeah, God's awesome. Like, this is like good. Like, I have peace. And then I go into my day and life happens. And pretty soon I start, like, looking at this to-do list or, like, this problem or have this issue with a kid or work or this or that. And pretty soon I don't have peace anymore. What happened? Did God change? No. It says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What happened is I took my eyes off of the truth that I looked at in my time with God. And that's what David's doing in the psalm is he's reminding himself of God's character. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So it doesn't say that God keeps Christians in perfect peace. There's something that we have to do. There's something that we need to intentionally and proactively do every minute of every day. Isaiah 26.3, You keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So the Christian life, I believe once we are saved, we are positionally secure in Christ. So if you die, you're going to go to heaven if you believe in Christ. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to live a fruitful Christian life, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to look any different than other people. The way that you look like Christ is you intentionally think about the character of God, and you proactively think, and you you get in the Word, and you pray, and as you get anxious or frustrated during the day, you remind yourself of different things about God. That's why I like memorizing verses, because you can only think about one thing at a time. So I'll give you an example. My daughter's seven, and a few years ago, she had a big dog jump up on her, and it pushed her back, and it really scared her a lot. And ever since then, she's been afraid of dogs, even little dogs. We live in the country, but we have different neighbors, and they'll walk By with little dogs, and she will be afraid of them. And so, I've taught her, Brielle, I'm outside with you. I'm playing with you. I care about you. If I see a dog that looks dangerous or mean, I'll make sure that it doesn't hurt you. And what she'll do is she'll run and she'll like cling to me, like where I can't even walk, like she (laughs) clings to my leg. And so, what I've taught her is, Brielle, if you see a big dog coming, I want you to walk up next to me and stand really close to me. And if it's a mean dog or comes and jumps up on us, I will pick you up and push it away. But I want you just to stand by me and trust me. And so the other day, we were my wife's parents, they have a sledding hill right behind their house. We were out sledding, and the neighbors have two big dogs. And they're, they're actually pretty friendly dogs, but they're very big. And he let them out and came out with them. And they started running right at us. <laughs> Right at us. And she looked really afraid. She saw the situation and she looked really afraid. But then she listened to me. She came and just stood right by me. She looked at the dog. She looked afraid. Then she looked up at me and she saw that I was looking at her and she was calm. And she just stood there and the guy called the dog back and it went away. But she didn't panic because when she looked at the dog she was genuinely afraid. But when she stood next to me and looked up at me, and saw that I was with her, she had peace. She had peace. So that's what David is talking about here, is intentionally looking at God. I love David. I love the Psalms because the Psalms are very real. They're gritty. David doesn't play super spiritual. Like he's, he, he talks about situations that are genuinely scary to him. He acknowledges that reading the Psalms is like reading a spiritual journal he says this poor man cried to the lord he said my heart was overwhelmed he said tears like filled my bed (laughs) he's very real but then he looks at god and if you read the psalms he starts out anxious or fearful or whatever other emotion and he works through it and he processes through it in light of god's character and he has peace and so when we look at the Psalms, we need to think about that. They're, they're real. David was a real person, and he dealt with the same things that we did. And the peace that the Psalms talk about isn't the peace that results from the absence of trials in our life. I, t- I tend, and I think most of us, we want to control our life. We want to avoid things that are uncomfortable. And we want our life and our kids and our situation, our work, nothing to ever like, make us too uncomfortable or be too scary. But God has different plans for our lives. He wants to grow us in faith. That's his number one thing. And when Jesus walked with the disciples, that was the number one thing he talked about was faith. So the peace that David always talks about in the Psalms is the peace of presence. It's the peace of presence. God's presence and experiencing God's presence and being mentally aware of God's presence. It's not the peace that results from the absence of, of trials or avoiding trials. And that's why in Psalm 23:4, David says, "Even though even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Because you're with me." So that's why my daughter didn't fear because she looked up and was aware of me being with her, and that's why David didn't fear is because he realized that God was bigger than his situation. So let's look at verse 2 and 3. When evil doers came against me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumbled and fell. So he's talking to himself, reminding himself of how God has saved him in the past. So has God saved you in the past? He saved us from our sins. Think about financial difficulties or health things. Like David is saying, I'm not going to fear because I had people coming against me in the past and God rescued me from those things. So he says, it's they who stumbled and fell. So he's reminding himself of past mercies. And that's a very important practice to cultivate. Last night, I was thinking about everything to do this next week. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me how good God was to me this past week. So I just started thanking him for all the things he had done. Then let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Some translations say, In this I will be confident. So what we see here is not a peace. David's not praying here for the absence of trials. He's not saying, God, take away everything that could be scary or difficult this next year or this next week. Look at verse 3 again. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, yet or in this I will be confident. So he's just encouraged himself in God, and he's saying, It doesn't matter the situation. I can be confident in God. I don't have to fear. So that's my first point. Point one is, intentionally making God the stronghold of your life will give you confidence in all situations. Intentionally making God the stronghold of your life will give you confidence in all situations. So we have limited control over our life. We have very limited control over our life, But there is something we can control. We can control how much peace we have. And so when my daughter came and stood by me, she couldn't control that the dogs came out of that house, but she could control the fact that she trusted in me, that she had a dad who loved her and was strong enough like to fend off a couple dogs. And we have a huge God, we have an infinite God. And I think it's kind of sad and ironic when we walk around fearful when we have the most powerful being in the universe on our side. So let's look, at, let's look at verse 4. Let's look at our next point. Verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David made that his number one priority. His number one priority was seeking God. It wasn't eliminating things in his life that were difficult. So if you could ask God for one thing this year, what would you ask him for? Think about that. This, this verse really challenges me because I have different things, you know, like if God just said, appeared to me and said, Grant, you can have three things. So let's say God said to you, you can have three things this year what order what order would experiencing God be on that list David King David said that's number 1 that's number 1 and I think that's why he had so much confidence because if we just push God down the list we'll just kind of have a fuzzy experience of God and we'll know some generalities but it won't be the close intimacy that results in fearlessness so let's look at the next two verses for he will hide me in the shelter, his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So the result of him seeking God is that he would have victory over his enemies. God does break through for us. And in verse six, we see that he would offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, and he would sing and make melody to the Lord. So when we make God a refuge, the result is not only fearlessness, but like we get joy in God. Have you ever went away to a conference, like, and you just spent time like soaking in God's presence, and you're like, yeah, God is like awesome. Like it overflows. I. I know someone who just loves the Packers, and he gets so pumped up that he texts me and calls me. He's so pumped up about the Packers, and he's not faking it. He just loves the Packers. And so I think that it's very important that we make God our first priority, not only so that we have peace, but I think that the key to being an effective witness for God in our culture is to have genuine joy and peace in God that you can't mistake, that other people... Can't mistake. So you'll have fearlessness, and you'll be so um, fixate. You'll just be overwhelmed with God's character, and you'll do what what David said—that you will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and you will sing and make melody to the Lord. And what's neat here is David doesn't say he doesn't ask God to remove his difficult circumstances. And he doesn't seek God just for the benefits of deliverance, but he trusts God that will deliver, that God will deliver him. It's amazing in verse 4, David says why he seeks God. Let's look at verse 4 again. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And hopefully he'll give me a bunch of money or take away my health problems. (laughs) He says. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That word inquire in Hebrew can mean meditate or think on. Um, it might even be the same. I can't remember. It might even be the same word um, in Psalm 1 where it talks about meditating on God's word day and night. So he says to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So God is worth seeking for his own purpose for, for who he is, who he is. And I, th- I think that it probably makes God sad when, like, he saves his children and just sees us living like everyone else and not enjoying his presence. Jesus said in John 17:3, he said, this is eternal life that you get saved and get a free pass to heaven. <laughs> no, he says, and this is eternal life that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So he's saying, eternal life starts now. Eternal life is walking with Christ and seeing his beauty. And I think that we can see more of God's beauty than, than David could because Jesus said, if you want to see God, look at me. He said that all different ways in the Gospel of John. He said, if I've been with you so long, Philip, and you still do not know me, don't you know that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father? So all you have to do to have a front row seat of God and what he's like and look at his beauty is read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you see like the beauty of God's character and his love and his power. So point number two was, is David made intentionally seeking God his first priority. So I want us to think about if we, if, if we could have one thing this year, um, if God, God said, I'll give you one thing, what would that be? Are we like David? Do we want to make intentionally seeking God our number one priority? Do we desire? Do we desire to see God's beauty? George Mueller, some of you have heard, have heard of George Mueller, who started um, a lot of orphanages in England, and they were all based on faith. And he lived a very productive life. Um, he was also a pastor, so he's a very productive life. Did a lot of things for God. And in his older years, someone interviewed him and they said, George, what is the key to your effectiveness? What is the key to your effectiveness? And he said, well, I have a resolution. He said, each morning I spend time with God and I don't stop until I'm happy in God. He said, I don't stop until I'm happy in God, until I have joy in God. So he didn't make it his goal to just do his 20 minutes or read his devotional. He wanted to be happy in God. And I think the reason that he made that his goal is he realized that if you're happy in God, everything else flows out of that. You, you can't mistake it. And I, I think even if we have kids or grandkids or coworkers, I think if we're happy in God and we're at peace, they're going to say, something is different. Something is different about that person. Why do they have, like, a peace that I don't have? Or why do they have a happiness that I don't have? And God promises us that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. That's a promise. And the Bible is full of promises. Why does... Why does God give us promises? I think that it's easy to get discouraged. Easy to get discouraged when we seek God if we don't see answers right away. And Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we have to seek God with all of our heart and make seeking him our number one priority. In my third point, let's look at the third point now. Let's look at verses 13 through 14. So it it takes patience to pursue God. (laughs) That's one of the hardest things for me um, in pursuing God. I think that would be common for Christians is there's not always instant results. It's not like you flip your Bible open and all of a sudden you feel at peace or you have these warm, fuzzy feelings. It takes intentionality and it also takes patience. Verse 13 and 14, David says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So he's talking about this life. And he's saying, I would have despaired. I would have just been discouraged unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord this side of the grave, in the land of the living. So he thinks that he's actually going to see God's goodness. He's going to see God break through. And then... um, Let's look at verse 14, but I want to explain something. In English, we use I can use the word you. We don't have a word to differentiate. We don't have two words to say you singular and you plural. So if I said you, Willie, it would be the same word. Or if I said how are you guys doing, we say you guys or you all to try to show that it's a group. But if I say how are you, doing we don't have separate words but hebrew has a first a singular and a plural way of addressing people so you can address one person or just your or a group and so verse 14 where he says your heart here david is it's singular your and he's talking to himself so i used to think when i read verse 14 that david was talking to other people but he's actually talking to himself cuz your is singular in Hebrew. So verse 14, wait for the Lord. And notice in verse 13 he said, I would have despaired unless I had believed. So he's talking about himself. Verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So he says it to himself twice. Wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the lord. So he's he's telling himself two times because he knows that it's easy that it's easy to give up in our pursuit of God. It's easy when we don't see results right away. But God wants us to know that he will reward us. I have a book I've been reading through called Waiting on God. It's by Andrew Murray and it's a series of short devotionals and each each chapter is just two or three pages. And what he does is he takes one or two verses on waiting from a passage, and he just has a devotional on them. And as I've read through it, I've been like, wow, Like God has a lot of good purposes in waiting. I never realized all the things that God does in our heart through waiting, but it does make sense because we don't give our kids everything they want right when they want it. We have good purposes for making them wait, and God has a lot of good purposes too. But Andrew Murray, he has a devotional on Psalm 27:14, 14. And so I want to read you, read you what he says. He says, The one lesson our text teaches us is this, that when we set ourselves to wait on God, we ought beforehand to resolve that it will be with the most confident expectation of God's meeting and blessing us. We ought to make up our minds to this, that nothing was ever so sure is that waiting on God will bring us untold and unexpected blessing. We are so accustomed to judge the work of God in us by what we feel that the great probability is that when we begin to cultivate, when you begin to practice waiting on Him, we will be discouraged because we do not find any special blessing in it. The message comes to us above everything When you wait on God, do so in the spirit of abounding hopefulness. It is God in his glory, in his power, in his love, longing to bless you that you are waiting on. So he's saying, remember that you're waiting on God. Remember that you're waiting on God. You're waiting for someone amazing. We wait on things that we're really looking forward to because they're worth waiting. And so he's saying God is worth waiting for. And he also says you're waiting on God in his love. God loves us. So just, just like if our, we don't answer, or we don't give our kids what they want right away, it doesn't mean that we don't love them. It just means that we have a good purpose for made, making them wait. So he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. God's going to come through. I want to read Hebrews eleven six. This verse really challenges me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. So I think most all of us here believe that God exists, or we probably wouldn't waste our time coming to church. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him and that he rewards those who seek him. So do you believe that God will reward you if you diligently seek him? I, th- I think that what sets people apart, Christians apart, um, who consistently spend time with God and Christians who don't make it a practice of their life is two things. I think that Christians who do consistently spend time with God and nurture that relationship... I think that they have a faith that God is beautiful and that he's worth seeking, like David. David said, one thing have I asked, that I may see your beauty. So I think that David, he was king. like He had everything a man could want. He'd experienced a lot. But he still thought that God was supreme to everything else. So the first thing is, if we really believe that God is beautiful and he's better than anything else, we will seek him. And I think some of us, we can get pumped up about God. We can be like, yeah, he is amazing. But I think we fall off on the second thing that characterizes people who consistently pursue God is that we're not willing to wait. We're not willing to wait. So David here says that God is his number one priority because he's beautiful and because of his character. So David saw God for who he was. He was in love with the person of, his, of God, and he was willing to wait, as verse 14 says. But he wasn't getting it right away. It seems he wasn't getting it. So he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah forty thirty one says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So the people who are going to have renewed strength, the Christians who are going to have renewed strength going into the new year are those who are willing to wait on God. So it's those who are willing to wait. You have to be willing to pursue God because you think he's beautiful, but you also have to be willing to wait. Are we willing to wait on God? And the more I've been reading the Bible, I'm like, wow, the Bible is just full of people who had to wait on God. Hannah was wanting a child, and it said, like, she wept before God. She said, please give me a child. Uh, Joseph, Joseph he, had to, he had a dream when he was 17, and then he got sold into slavery, and then he got falsely accused and thrown into prison, and he didn't get out of prison until he was 30. David got anointed when he was a teenager, and yet he was on... He got anointed, Samuel anointed him as king, and yet he was on the run for his life for three years from Saul. And he also, he also got anointed, or he also became king at 30. So there's all these people. Elizabeth, when the angel Gabriel, I don't know if you read this Christmas in Luke 2, where the, the angel appears to um, Zechariah, actually I think it's in Luke 1, and he says, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered and he says you're going to have a baby. <laughs> and he didn't believe God, and so God was upset and made him like not be able to speak. So he said your prayers have been answered. That seems kind of crazy to me. I think that what he's talking about is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying for a baby. But God, for some reason, thought it would be good to wait till after she went through menopause. (laughs) So he's like, okay, I'm going to answer your prayers, but you're going to have to wait a long time. And so God God will make us wait, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to answer. We have to not give up. That's why Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow. He said, I'm telling this, Luke records, he told this to show that we should pray and not give up. And David knew that, so he said, In verse 14, let's read it one more time. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So let us wait for the Lord in this new year. Let us do two things. Let us make seeking God our number one priority. Let us make seeking God our number one priority. And then let us wait on God. Let us wait on God. Because God is inviting us. God is inviting us to spend time with him, let's look at verse eight. Okay. So right here, it's God. It's God talking. You have said, David's talking about God. You have said, "Seek my face." So God says, "Seek my face," and the Hebrew verbs, verb "seek" is plural here. So God is talking to a group of people. God is saying, seek my face. And then look at this. David responds individually. He says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So God puts out an invitation to all of us, and he says, seek my face. And David responds, and he says, your face, Lord, do I seek. Your face. So let us respond to God's invitation to seek his face. And I want, to read you, I want to read you the New Living Translations Translation of Psalm 28. Psalm 27, 8. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Isn't that amazing? He says, My heart responds, Lord, I am coming. God desires to be with us. I went. I was um, recently joined the military as a as a chaplain, and I just do the reserves on the weekend. And so I was at Camp Douglas yesterday, and I got home, and I just knew my kids were going to be excited. To see me last night. I got home. And sure enough, they were excited. They came running and they're like, Daddy, Daddy. And I was like so excited to see them. The second part of the drive from Toma, I was excited to see my kids. And I think God's that way. Like, He wants to spend time with us. He saved us not just for heaven, but He saved us so that we could experience His goodness. And He invites us. He invites us to enjoy His presence. So let us seek God just out of sheer delight for who he is, and say, God, your face I want to seek. I want to enjoy you. So let us close in prayer, and I ask everyone who's going to serve this morning to come forward. Dear Father, I just thank you that you invite us. You invite us to know you, and that you, you sent Jesus Christ so that we could have the barrier of sin removed in the Garden of Eden after they sinned. After Adam and Eve sinned, it says that you drove man away from your presence. But when Christ came, that wall was broken down, and now we can know you again. So I pray that we would not just live our Christian life this year just experiencing or just thinking about the future benefits of being saved from hell, but that we would actually enjoy your beauty now because we have access to knowing your character and knowing your person. And if we truly press into you, we can be fearless. We can have a peace and a confidence that other people don't have, God. So I pray that we would live in all the benefits of being a Christian, and the greatest one being that we get to know and experience you. So we come this morning now to the Lord's Supper, and what I love about the Lord's Supper is that it's a tangible way, a tangible thing that God has given us to strengthen our faith. It says in the Bible, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But what's neat about God is He gives us tangible things. Tangible means it's experiential. You can put your hands on it. You can taste and see it and feel it. And in Exodus, God saved his people from Pharaoh. He saved them from slavery. And then he told them, he said, every year you need to celebrate the Passover. And so they would kill a lamb and they would drink several cups, pass it around. And that's how they would remember God's salvation. And something very interesting happened. Did you know that Jesus died at the Passover? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all go to great points to point that out. And that the the Lord's Supper that Jesus said, he actually did that. That was during the Passover meal. So Jesus is like our new Passover. And so he wants us to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a way of remembering what he did. And it's a tangible thing that strengthens our faith. It's actually something we can eat and drink, and that's supposed to nourish our heart spiritually. So I'll read you guys from 1 Corinthians 11. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So both the cup and the bread is a way of remembering God. In verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to join with us in remembering Christ's death as we partake of the cup and the bread. Thank you for braving the snow this morning and coming out and worshiping with us. Let's make seeking God our number one priority this year. Starting a Bible reading plan is a good, a good way of doing that. We'll have the prayer team up front afterwards if you'd like anything to be prayed for you about or need prayer for anything. We'd be happy to pray for you. Let me just close us in prayer and you'll be dismissed. God, I pray that you would... Help us to seek you this year. God, I know that resolutions don't give us strength. Your word says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the world is full of... We, we've all made tons of resolutions, I'm sure, that we can't follow through on because life gets in the way or we just don't have the resolve, God. But I pray that um, you would help us to make you our number one priority this year, because even though resolutions don't give us strength, they do give us purpose. So I pray that you would help us to make seeking you our number one priority this year, and just be consistent. And if we fall, fall down, I pray that we would fall forward and just get up again and try to pursue you so that we can have the peace in all situations that David experienced. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're dismissed.